All right, you know, it's Communion Sunday, and so, you know, we're taking a break from the series that we've been in. I guess we've taken a couple-week break from that, but that's okay. You know, the series is called Wait, so we're just doing what we're saying. We're making you wait for the next installment of that. But, you know, <laughs> all right. Um, I want to talk this morning about something that goes on routinely, and I don't want it to be routine. Okay, I want us to grasp the truth and the reality of this in, in, a, in a greater way and, and uh, you know, just, just move how God's had us, called us to move. And what I want to talk about is this thing we call laying on of hands. Do you ever hear that? You know, and it's often what we'll do when, when someone comes for prayer. You know, I think almost every Sunday, you know, we have people up here to pray and, and they have needs. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll lay hands on them. But we're not just doing a Christian brotherhood thing like, yeah, hey, you know, there's power in that, okay? It needs to be understood that it's a way that God distributes his power on the earth is through your hands. You out there today? In uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, we'll, we'll, we'll read this. But let's say this, that Jesus in his ministry, you know, as he was here on the earth and, and in ministry, he dealt with a lot of people in different areas of healing to, to uh, casting devils out of people and different things. And he had different methods that he used. And I would say this, you know, he, he was led by the Holy Spirit, you know. I mean, you know, one time he put mud in a guy's eye. We don't have a bucket of mud up here today to, to distribute on anybody. Thank God, huh? Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things he did a lot was he laid hands on people. He laid hands on people. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Of the doctrine of baptisms, this is the writer of Hebrews, I just jumped right in. He says, Of the doctrine, can you say doctrine? Is that a scary word, doctrine? It just a, means just a system of truth. It just means, you know, there's, there's a doctrine of baptisms, okay? Then he goes on, he says, of laying out of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. You know, he's laying out some of the basic doctrines, and that's what he called them in verse 1. He says there's foundational doctrines. And baptisms, you know, that's people would grab that right away. They'd say, of course, baptizing people, that's, that's scriptural, that's, that's a doctrine, but here in the mix, you know, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Right in the mix, though, he has laying on of hands as a foundational doctrine of the church. Because it is a way, to say it is a way, can you say a way? That God demonstrates his power here on the earth. Um, so I want to talk about it. I want to have such a confidence in our body that we're ready and able to minister to people as God brings them to our path. You know, I was thinking about it the other day, and, and some of the more significant miracles that I've seen God use me with have been outside the walls of the church. You know? They've been just out there in life, you know, or, or in our home. And, and you know, um, I want us to be confident in this. Um, Laying out of hands, you know, I, I could make this really long, but I, I, I really cut back. Uh, it's all through the Bible. 
You'll find it in the Old Testament. You'll find it in the New Testament. And I'll just start here in Mark 16 because this is a classic. It says in Mark 16, Jesus gave this instruction to you and I, okay? He said to them, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In verse 17, it says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it'll by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Woo! Woo! Now, do I need to clarify any of this? I will, quickly. You know, we're not showing off with serpents, you know. It's not like we'll, we don't have a bucket of serpents up here either, just like we don't have a bucket of mud, okay? That's not, I don't, that's not what Jesus was getting at. In fact, the only Bible uh, example that I, I know of in line with this verse was one time Paul was picking up firewood and a said a viper attached himself to, to Paul, means he bit him, and Paul shook it off into the fire, and, and uh, that was it. And, you know, when that happened, you know, people saw that he didn't die. It caused a great revival in the, in the, the island of Malta, I believe it was. You know, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about testing God by drinking poison. Don't do that, okay? You know, but, but if you did eat something, you know, I, I used to say that verse was there for missionaries. Because, you know, when I was a missionary and we'd go to somebody's house, you know, it was just like a rule I had for myself. I never asked what I was eating. Thank God. Because, you know, I didn't want to know. I remember one time I was with a student and we were going to, to his... Uh, hometown and we stopped at the city market on the way and I just said to him before we got there I said John his name was John John Robert and I said John uh, when we get up there you know I know your mom has a little place in the market and we're going to visit your mom make sure to tell her that we just ate okay and sure enough we get there and she's eating this thing you know and she says oh do you want some and in Creole and and John John repeated what I had told him to eat. And when later I says, what was she eating? And it was, uh, it was a boiled bananas and monkey brains. So anyway, or, you know, that, that, that's like, yeah, hi, yeah, thank you, Lord, you delivered me. You know, but, you know, you can eat any, don't get me going. I could really, then there's Dana on a missions trip. You know, we went to uh, Switzerland once and, and on a missions trip, and we were working with the local churches in evangelism, and it was great. And, but they fed us so much, and it was so delicious, you know, spaghetti and lasagna. And it was just kind of like they almost kind of watched you, you know, like if you're enjoying it, you know. And it was like, you know, it's the only missions trip I ever went on, and I gained like five pounds or something. <laughs> And part of it was is that when they weren't looking, Dana would take her food and shove it on my plate. And then she'd be like, oh, that was so good. And I'm like, ah, oh, Dana. I should look, is she watching? Anyway, hold your hands out in front of you, though, right now. Say, these hands are anointed by God. I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You know, one of the things I'd tell you is this, even before, you know, if you have the opportunity before you go out and lay hands on people, build your faith in the area. 
build your faith in that area. You know, even when maybe when no one's looking, you're not in church, do that at home. Maybe read that verse I just read and then, and then say, talk, have a conversation with God about it. Say, you've called me to go forth and minister. I believe there's power in my hands. I, 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 I used to do that all the time. I need to do it more again. But I remember working on a job, and, and I would do that a lot, you know, in the job that I was working. And, and I, I remember people would, would come to me. It was amazing how God would open up doors. And, and they'd say, oh, I need, I'm, I'm sick. And I'd always be respectful to my employer the best I could. And I'd say, listen, at break time, do you hear that? You know, most jobs have breaks. I'd say, oh, okay, on break time, we'll meet in the freight elevator. And, and we'd go, and I, I, that was my place of ministry for a long time, was the freight elevator. It was beautiful. I knew enough to pull it down between floors and yank on that emergency stop, and it was a private little office. They didn't even know I, I had this. And, and, and I, most times what I would do is I would lay hands on people. I remember one time there was a couple that had come, and the wife was, was sick, and actually she was dealing with the kind of stuff that most people, you know, this last week I've heard have been dealing with coughs and colds and all this stuff. And I remember we went into the freight elevator, the husband and wife and me, and we went down between floors and we pulled it out. This was kind of weird, but it just shows you how this stuff is real. And, and you know, we talked for a few minutes, and, and I said, can I lay hands on you and pray? And she said, sure. And, and I, I laid hands on her and prayed, and she was instantly healed. Now, can I tell you this, too? I wish I could say that's always my experience, okay? But every time I've laid hands on somebody, I believe something happens every time. I don't always see the outward manifestation happen immediately every time. Don't be moved by what you see. But I remember this particular time I laid hands on this woman and, and she was instantly healed and simultaneously her husband got what she had. It jumped from her to him, and break time was over. Anyway, I mean, you know, he, he fought through it and everything. I mean, he didn't die or anything, but, uh, but I'm just, it just is such a, it's just so real. It's real, folks. This stuff is real. You out there today? God works through you. God, Jesus, called you to go out into the world. Part of preaching the gospel is healing the sick. Did you hear me? Jesus in his ministry, you'll find this, it's even a quote. He went forth teaching, preaching, and healing. That, that is like one person said, healing is like the dinner bell. It's like the dinner bell. People get healed. They want to know more about Jesus. It's an open door. Open windows, open doors we're talking about today. Healing is that. Um, I'm going to read some stuff here and, and uh, talk for a little bit more, and we're going to receive communion a little later. I'll, I'll give you a signal when we're ready, Brian. But uh, Matthew 8, 1, um, actually, jump back. Luke 13 is where I was going. Luke 13, 10 through 13. It says, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit infir of infirmity for 18 years, was bent over, could no way lift, raise herself up, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, said unto her, Woman, you're loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 
Here's Jesus, the Son of God, ministering on the earth. What does he do? He, he calls this woman out, had this spirit of infirmity for 18 years. 18 years is a long time to be sick. 18 years is a long time to have a physical condition like this woman had. And, and uh, it was from the devil. It wasn't from God. God doesn't make people sick so he can heal them and get glory. Sickness is from the devil. You out there today? It's an attack. It's, it's the enemy working. And I'm not saying if somebody's sick that, you know, that they're demon-possessed. Come on. We're not, we're not talking about that, okay? All I'm saying is that the, the, the force of sickness is a force of the devil, okay? And we're to stand against it. Matthew 8, 1 through 3, it says, He came down from the mountain, and great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This leper had one of the key ingredients to receiving from God. He says, tell me this, are you willing to do it? Well, Jesus, it says in verse 3, it says he put his hand on him and touched him. And he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You know, I know when I've prayed for people a lot of times, not, you know, I remember back in when I was a, a new Christian, you know, and, and I had this friend, his name was Terry, Terry Nelson. Some of you guys know him. And uh, we, it seems like we get called to go pray for people a lot. You know, and, and uh, those of you who do know Terry, he's a wild evangelist. He lives in Haiti, and he's, he's no one to mess with, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, what we would often do when we'd go pray for people is we'd talk to him about the goodness of God before we'd do it. We'd, we'd get him to a point where we'd, we could ask him this question and say, hey, do you believe it's God's will to heal you? It sounds so simple, but somebody knowing it is God's will. It opens doors. It opens doors. You know, we'd, we'd talk to people like that often before we do it, but then eventually then we'd lay hands on them and we'd pray and we'd see what, you know, God would do good things. Um, it's going way back. That was when we were a couple of kids, me and Terry. But um, Mark 6, verse 1, again, this is ministry of Jesus. Then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he's given to him, that such mighty works uh, are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother James, uh, Joseph, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but whatever. Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they, they, they were offended at him. It's interesting. It's interesting. You know there's obstacles to get over. Sometimes the obstacle of your own hometown can be a, a hurdle that has to be gotten over. Sometimes dealing with relatives. Can I tell you? There's different ways God will have you deal with people. Be wise. Don't... don't um, don't ever think you got it all together. I don't mean that in, in being some kind of a, you know, nervous about life or anything. But know your dependency on God. Okay? 
I, I, it's like the older I get, the more I, I realize I don't have it all together and I need him, you know? I mean, I know I'm a new creature. I know Jesus loves me. I know I'm born again. I know those things. I don't waver from those things, but I need his help, even in the basics, you know? When you go in to minister to somebody, wait on him. Get his plan. Go forth with confidence because you know you're working together. You're working together. Sometimes I like to, even before I get up to minister the word, I like to just have a conversation with the Holy Spirit before I do. And I just tell him, man, I'm nothing without you. If anybody really knows me, they know. I'm nothing without him. You know? I've got to find the groove every time I get up here. I've got to find where he's taken us. Because I can't do these, anything on my own. And, and in ministering to someone who's sick, find the groove. Find the groove. Don't just be religious about things. All right. I'm a little soldier. All right. You can be a soldier. It's okay. I'm a little robot, you know. Here's what I do. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. Ah, oh, man. It just sucks the power right out of the gospel. You know that? It does. Be you. And be dependent on God. Don't put these things into some formula. It's so easy to do, isn't it? If I just confess 15 times, maybe 16, I'll be over there. You know, then I got, no, my goodness. Depend on God. Take him fresh. I, I tell you, you know, like that, that couple I prayed for and, and uh, it left the wife and, and it came on the husband like simultaneously. <laughs> I've seen that happen more than once. And you know what? I've had it happen. I've, I've prayed for my wife to be free from something and the very thing she had has come on me before. And because I can examine myself, I can't always examine everybody else, but when I examine myself, I think I was into pride. Can I say that in this church? Boy, everybody got quiet. No, you don't have pride, Pastor Paul. Hey, we all deal with things. Sometimes I think at least, at least one time that's happened, I think I was just prideful, like, <laughs> don't ever get that way. Don't ever get, you know. So he's in his hometown, and then uh, it says, Jesus said then, verse 4, he said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own, town, in his own house. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. It is a hurdle. Hometowns are a hurdle, you know? There used to be a saying that, that if you want to be an expert, you just have to have a brief, briefcase and be from out of town. For those of you who don't know, a briefcase is an old-fashioned iPad. Anyway. I'm going to just talk about a prophet for a minute. You know, we had... Andrew in here last week, who, who operates in the office of a prophet. 
And, and uh, prophets are, a Pastor Stephen said this, and, and it's just the Bible. Prophets are a part of the five-fold ministry gift outlined in Ephesians, okay? Pastors, prophets, evangelists, I'm missing apostles, teachers, evangelists. Anyway, count them up. There's five. I might have said one twice. But anyway, what I've noticed in being around prophets, I mean, I, I went to school with probably one of the major prophets of our day, Kenneth E. Hagen, you know, and uh, he didn't have a word for us every day. You know, I was around him every day. He didn't have a word from us every day. But when he did, it hit our hearts, okay? Many days, what he would do is just get up and teach the Bible. Let me say this, though, that, that when, when you're around someone like that, it often doesn't unfold the way you fantasized that it would. You know what I'm saying? I know we got this story in the Old Testament about Naaman, who was a, he was a chief officer, and he had leprosy, and it's over in one of the kings. I think it's, anyway, it's one of the kings. And uh, he came, he was sent to Elijah, the prophet, and, and uh, when he got there, the prophet sent his servant out to greet him. Now, Naaman was like a, a, a powerful man. You know, he rolled up in his chariot. It would have probably been like someone rolling up in a Rolls Royce or at least a Porsche or something, you know, something cool, you know. And, and, and here he was, a man of, of authority, and the prophet sent his servant out. And the, I love the, the King James. Sometimes I just love to read the King James Bible because he uses language that makes me laugh. And in and, and, and the King James, if you read it, it says that Naaman was wroth. Isn't that a good word? He was wroth. I mean, it's either a cough drop or it's super angry or whatever. And he turned around and he went away. And thank God Naaman had a servant and said he talked some reason to, you know, the chief. He said, listen, if he'd have come out and told you to do some great and mighty thing, you'd have done it. And, and he had a change of thinking. And he went and he did what the, the prophet's servant told him, and the power of God was released on him. So sometimes people get tripped up because it isn't the way they imagined it. And, and let me say this, that your faith, when you're around like a prophet or somebody, you're really about, about anybody ministering, your faith will draw on the gift. When Jesus went to this hometown gathering, there wasn't anybody using faith to draw on his gift. They're all in this world of, hey, hey, we know this guy. We know his family. We know where he came from. Who is he anyway? You know, I mean, you can fall into that. But your faith will draw on the gift. Uh, we'll say this. I want to say this too. Prophets are not all-knowing. Okay? They're not all-knowing. Because in that very story I was telling you about, uh, Naaman came back and wanted to heap some blessings and, and, uh, uh, on, on, on Elisha and, and Gehazi. You know, he, he, was, he was willing to take him. And if he was someone who was around the prophet all the time, and if the prophet knew everything, he would have never messed up. Okay. He would have never taken the risk 
Prophets, I, I, I was hearing Kenneth Hagin again, you know, we've been playing him at, how, at our house lately, and, and he said something because he was used a lot in the gifts of the Spirit, and he said someone came up to him and said, you have the, the gift of uh, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. And, and Kenneth Hagin looked at him and he says, no, I don't. He said, the church has that. God just uses me with that sometimes. Huh, isn't that something? All right, one more thing. Can I tell you one more thing about prophets? There's many more we could say. There's books written about them, but we won't go there. Uh, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, there were men and women of God that were used in certain ways. One of them was the office of a prophet. And in those days, the Spirit of God did not just come on everybody, okay? It came on the prophet, priest, and the king. And so people had to look to the prophet for in ways that today they might not have to do. And a true prophet of God is going to encourage you to seek God yourself. He is going to stir you up in, in hunger to go to the Word and to spend time with the Holy Spirit, okay? In the New Testament, we live in such a day, folks. We are so blessed. We get born again, and the Spirit of God comes inside us. You know, um, don't go looking around. I mean, I, I, I respect the office of the prophet, just like I respect the evangelist. You know, I also worked with probably one of the bigger evangelists of our day, too. And I totally respect him. I respect the office of the pastor. But don't, lie, don't idolize them. And don't make them God. No man, no woman can handle that. There is a God in heaven... And I ain't him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, verse 5. Jesus, or it says, and it says this, it says, He could do no mighty, could do no mighty work there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And and you know, one, Jesus couldn't do anything. He wanted. He wanted to heal, have miracles in this town. But he didn't say he would not. You read it in any version, it says he could not because of unbelief. Okay? But here's the thing I wanted to point out is that even in this hometown gathering, even in the midst of unbelief, he resorted to laying hands on a few sick folk. Most Bibles say, like with minor ailments, probably was headaches or who knows. But he still laid hands on people, and some people got healed. So laying on of hands is like a power tool. It seems like it'll work sometimes when other things haven't been working. I like to lay hands on people. I remember one time, this is when we were in Minneapolis. We used to be at a church in Minneapolis. And we were just sitting there. I wasn't preaching or nothing that day. And I remember I just worshiping God during the praise and worship time. 
And I, I, I felt my, my hand, it was my right hand, just got super hot. You know, you, you know, you know what I'm talking? I didn't have on an electric hand warmer or anything like that. It just got super hot. So you know what I did? I didn't go running up to the platform and say, hey, I mean, you can, whatever. But I just, my wife, I knew she had a backache. I knew that knowledge. I just, while we were worshiping, I just put my hand on her back. I did it through the whole worship time that I could. My hand was getting tired, okay? I didn't even say nothing. We just sat there through the service. I never did mention it at all. Sometimes you prove things out. So we got in the car to get home. Aren't car rides home from church interesting? If you got kids, that is one of the prime teaching times as a parent and a kid. You know, you know they start talking about communion. What was that about? You know, at a certain age, that's a time you can totally explain to your kids things like that. Or this happened in church. You know, Mary Thompson, she had a word. Well, this is what was happening right there, you know, or, or you know, or whatever. But in any case, we're, we got in the car to go home, and we're, we're driving, driving home. We lived about a half hour from church. It's funny, when I lived in the city, I didn't think anything of driving a half hour, 40 minutes. We did it every day, a couple times. I don't think like that when I live in Monopoly. <laughs> You mean I gotta go to the north side of town? <laughs> Brace myself. <laughs> anyway, Dana Dana looks at me though and she says, Hey, during church today, what was going on? I said, What do you mean? You mean when the pastor was preaching or what 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 do you mean? No, like during worship, she says, You put your hand on my back. I mean, it shouldn't even be a big thing for me to put my hand on my wife's back, you know. But there was something. And I said, well, what happened when I did that? She says, all the pain I had left. I said, oh, wow. Now, can I tell you something? I'll finish the story. The next week, I wasn't supposed to preach that week either. I was the associate pastor. But uh, for some reason, the senior pastor, wasn't. He, he got caught up, and he wasn't there on time. And the whole worship time went and, and finished. And I turned around, and nobody's there. So, I mean, you know, I'm thinking, well, do I get up? Should I just shoot a message out? What do I do? But, I mean, the Lord just said, hey, remember when you laid hands on Dana last week? Go up there and pray for people. So I did. I just went up. I, I, I didn't go into a story, but I said, I'm, I'm here today. I want to pray for anybody sick. We just had a crowd of people come up, laid hands on them. And then I looked up about fifth person in. There's the pastor. You know, I forget what had happened to him, but something had happened. God opened the door, okay? All right, are you out there today? Let me just, I'm going to get down to this. I wanted to talk about this. The anointing power of God is transferred through the laying on of a believer's hands. Um, Habakkuk 3 and 4, just listen to this one. It says he, he had rays flashing from his hands, and there his power was hidden. So his hands were the hiding place of his powers. Um, I'm going to skip a few verses, media. I'm going to go up to Matthew 14, verse Matthew 8, 14, and 15. It says, when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his mother, his wife's mother, his mother-in-law, you could say, lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. 
When you're laying hands on someone, here's just a couple practical things I'm going to tell you today. These aren't always the case, but this is just some practical things. When you're laying hands on them, the first thing I'd say is get their agreement, okay? Them being willing opens doors you can't even imagine, okay? So just, you know, what I, instead of just coming up going, ah, would it be okay if I laid hands on you? And again, you don't, don't try to make this a formula, but I'm just telling you, this is a practical thing that'll help you in praying for people. Get their agreement. Um, and then have faith in laying on of hands. Now flip. If you're the one being hands laid on, okay, can I tell you a couple things? One, when you go up there to have hands laid on you, don't be trying to give out, be receiving, okay? Don't be trying to, you know, quote 50 scriptures in under three minutes, you know, at a high decibel. I, I, honestly, you know, when I was going to Bible school, Kenneth Hagin used to do this thing every day. He called it healing school. And over the years, different people took it on. But when I went to, to, to Ramah, which was the name of the Bible school, Kenneth Hagin, he, he started it when I was there. That's how old I am. Okay? And he used to do the teaching. I used to go every chance I'd get. Sometimes people got so in a prayer line that they were saying hallelujah so loud he made them sit down. Is there something wrong with saying hallelujah? No. But he knew they wouldn't receive because they were so focused on them worshiping, they weren't ready to receive. Now, he'd come back to them. He'd say, now, listen, just focus on Jesus right now. There's a time to shout hallelujah, and there's a time to receive what God's doing. I'd like to give you this picture. If you're being prayed for, here's, here's something you could imagine. One, think about Jesus. And see yourself. This, this is kind of weird, but that's okay. I'm kind of weird. See yourself like a dry sponge being immersed into a bucket of water. What does that dry sponge do? You maybe give it a little squeeze or something, but it goes. That's what you're doing. Okay? Have that image that you're soaking it up. Um, then I, I want to say this, too. People get prayed for. I've had times I've prayed for people, and I know the power of God went in them. And even symptoms go. But, but whether symptoms go or not, here's what you can focus on. That hands were laid on me, and the power of God is working in me now. Okay? Don't focus on what I feel or don't feel. Focus on this. Let your mind be this. There was a deposit made in me. The devil is so mean. Because even sometimes people get instant results. He'll come back and he'll try to steal things from you that were deposited. Okay? And someone says, well, if God does it, it's a done thing. Well, I could go through the New Testament. In fact, there's two places in the book of Revelation where Jesus spoke to the church and said, hold fast to what, I, what you have. Hold fast to what you have. Now, if there was no chance of you losing it, would you have to hold fast to it? 
I don't say that to scare you. I say that to say, God does a work in you. Don't let the devil steal it. Okay? Healing is the children's bread. All right. All right. We're gonna, I'm going to give you one other verse, and then we're going to receive communion in a minute. Every, every healing that God works through you is based on the finished work of Jesus. Okay? In Isaiah 53, we're going to take communion in just a minute. How's that? Is that subtle? Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus did the work for us. As we are getting ready to receive communion, what's going to happen is we're going to bring the elements up here. There are going to be two cups. One on top has the juice. The one on the bottom has the cracker. So when you come up to take them, take both cups that are in the little slot. We're going to take them back to our seats, and we're going to take it together after everybody's been served. Now, I, I'm a visitor here today. I don't go to this church well, you know, all that's necessary is that you're in the body of Christ. And we're going to pray in just a minute. And if, you, if you're not in the body of Christ, you, or you don't know if you're in the body of Christ, we're going to just pray, and that's how you get in. I did it back in, in the 70s. 70s were a wild decade, you know. I went from one extreme to the next. All of a sudden, I found myself praying and asking Jesus in my heart, and everything changed. Do you ever hear people talk about certain events that everything changes? Yes, Jesus in your life, everything changes in such a good way. Um, so in the, what I did is I went forward. There's this church. There's this wild preacher preaching, and frankly, God had been dealing with me for oh, probably my whole life, but really for the last few months, and and I actually went to this church service thing to, because to, I knew they were going to pray for people, and I was going to be there. I was going to pray and ask Jesus in my heart. I don't know why. I just felt like that's how I had to do it. And so when it came time to pray, he prayed a simple prayer. I prayed that, and I'm telling you what, my life changed. And, and, and um, that's how easy it was. You know, Jesus did the hard part. He died for me. He took my sins. He became it. He took my sickness. He took poverty. He took all the evil that was, you know, hanging on me. He became it so I could be free. So we're going to just pray together, and then we're going to come on and, and, and take the elements and bring them back to our seats. But if you've never done this, or if you're unsure, or any kind of wavering, I just want all of us to pray it together, but just mean it in your heart. And God will meet you right where you're at today. Say this with me. Say, Father God, I thank you that you love me. You care about my life. I believe in my heart. Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. He rose from the dead. And right now, I ask him into my life. Come live in me. Be real to me. I believe in the finished work of Jesus, and I receive the free gift of salvation. Help me to know you better every day.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you'll take the, the cracker. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ broken for us. This is where it all went down. Jesus took my sin, my sickness, poverty, destroyed it so we could be free. We thank you for what you did. We take this in remembrance in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, too, for the blood. In the same way we take the bread, we take the cup, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus. There's no match in this world for the blood. We declare it, we proclaim it over ourselves and over our family, over this church. Thank you for the power made available. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen.